Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. All right, so today we're continuing in the book of Numbers. Our portion this week is uh, Shalach, which is, and he sent. And as you're likely familiar, this, this portion starts out with the story of the spies that were sent in to, see, to search out the land and bring back a report. And it was a catastrophic event, right, for the nation of Israel. And, you know, often when we think about this portion, that's, well, at least when I think about this portion, that's kind of the main thing I think about is the report of the spies. But there's really two parts of this portion, okay? There's the first half, which is the story of the spies, and then there's the second half, which is a collection of commandments that the Lord has given his people. And the first half starts out with God's... It, it's a, it has a reminder of God's promise, and then it goes through the people, people's failure to walk in obedient faithfulness to him. The second it also starts with God's promise, and it's a call for the people to walk in obedient faithfulness to him. It starts out with the eyes going out to spy what was going on in the land, and it concludes with the eyes looking upon the tzitzit, such that you would remember all the commandments of the Lord and walk in them, right? And so what's the difference between the two stories? You know, there's many differences, of course, but the big thing is what did the people set their eyes upon? What did they set their eyes upon? In the first, they set their eyes upon the obstacles that stood in the way. And in the second, they set their there to set their eyes on God's commandments and his faithfulness and his promises. And what we set our eyes on is going to make the difference. In uh, Numbers 15, 22 through 25, we're going to jump around a little bit, but Numbers 15, 22 through 25, the scripture says, But when you unwittingly fail and do not observe all these commandments which the Lord has spoken to Moses, even all that the Lord has commanded you through Moses from the day when the Lord gave commandment and onward throughout your generations, then it shall be, if it is done intentionally, without the knowledge of the congregation, that all the congregation shall offer one bull for a burnt offering and a soothing aroma to the Lord with its grain offering and its drink offering, according to the ordinance, and one male goat for a sin offering. Then the priest shall make atonement for all the congregation of the sons of Israel, and they will be forgiven, for it was an error. And they have brought their offering, an offering by fire to the Lord, and their sin offering before the Lord for their error. Now, in this passage, what I just read to you, this translation does not include what I wanted it to include. So I will go with another brief portion here that I want to focus in on. And it's in, let's see, in the wrong book. Okay, Numbers 15, verse 20, let's see, 24 said, in this translation it said, if it's done intentionally without the knowledge of the congregation, okay, but the Hebrew says it differently. It says, if because of the eyes of the, of the assembly it was done unintentionally, the entire assembly shall prepare one young bull. Okay? So it says, if because of the eyes of the assembly, it was done unintentionally. Now, the eyes of the assembly is understood to be a reference to the, uh, the Sanhedrin, who makes the rulings in the halakha for the nation of Israel. They give the interpretation of here's what the command says to do. And so they're saying, if that assembly, if the Sanhedrin has ruled errantly, about how the people should walk, then the whole assembly is to bring um, an offering for the unintentional sin. But what stood out to me in this is it's referring to the eyes of the assembly, those who are to have the wisdom 
to see what should be done and to, and to be able to discern that and call it out, setting their eyes on the Torah and making rulings according to that. And I was thinking about how the eyes of the assembly, of course, in this case, it's referring to the Sanhedrin, but if we look at ourselves, right, and say, well, what about us? The eyes of our body look out and they see and make deter- we make determinations of what to do based on what we see, right? And so the eyes of the assembly, the eyes of the body are critical to us making wise decisions and walking in righteousness. And in 1 John 2, 16, John gives us a warning. says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful, boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So there's the lust of the eyes that is not from the Father, but from the world. And then Yeshua says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. Right? And Paul in Ephesians 1, 17-19 says that the, Lord, the God of our Lord Yeshua Messiah, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might. So the eyes, what the eyes are set upon are going to affect how we walk out our life. And, and our mindset is going to affect how we interpret what our eyes see. Right. right now we're in a time with our nation, with everything that's going on. It's hard to discern what is right and what's good. It's hard to see clearly, to know what is true, what is not. Right. But so we need to be in prayer for wisdom and discernment and revelation from the Lord so that we might be guided by what he longs for us to see, right? Rather than be carried away by what our eyes may, may behold, right? So we need to be, we need to be on guard. Now, in this, I want to go back and we're going to start out going through the, uh, the story of the spies, and then we'll come back towards the second. We'll go to the, from the first part to the second part of the portion. Let's go to Numbers 13. Okay. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send out, send out for yourself men so that they may spy out, spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. Right. So again, here God's leading in with his promise. He says, I'm giving you this land. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribe, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the command of the Lord, and all of them men who were heads of the sons of Israel. Now jumping forward to verse 21. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zen as far as Rehob at Lebo Hamath. When they had gone up into the Negev, they came to Hebron, where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eshkol, and from there cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two men and some of the pomegranates and the figs. That place was called the valley of Eshkol because of the cluster which the sons of Israel cut down from there. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of forty days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. 
But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone, and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the son of Anak, are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, another, Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh and of those who had spied out the land tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel saying, The land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. So when we look at this story, we have God reminding of the promise that he is going to give the land. Then they go out and they take a look, and they see that what God is, what God has said about the land is true. That it is a land that flows with milk and honey. That the the produce is of great size, all right. And so they see that what the Lord said is true, but yet they're all, they're held back by other things that their eyes see because they see the obstacles, and they begin to doubt that they could really go in and take the land. Now, when they come back and they tell the people what they've seen, you know, they start out saying. Hey, you know, what God said is true about the land. And then they go on to say, what we saw is the giants, and we saw fortified cities. Now, when they said this, what they're saying was true. The land was flowing with milk and honey, and there were giants, and there were fortified walls, right? And so you you might look at it and say, okay, well, you know, they're telling the truth. You know, so is that bad? I mean, the Bible here calls it an evil report. But they were speaking truth. So the, the problem is, were they speaking the whole truth? Right? Because they were omitting some key things. And the things they were omitting were the promises of God about that he was going to give them the land, regardless of what obstacles that they saw there. Now the people, in hearing this, they were swept up by their own fears and emotions. Right? Because... It, specifically in the Hebrew, when they come back with the report and they say it's flowing with milk and honey, let me see. Um, they, they said, you know, it flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. And they say, but the people that dwells in the land is powerful. Okay? The word, the Hebrew word for, for but here is ephes. Okay? It's not the it's not like a vav that's translated where they would say it's flowing with milk and honey and the people are powerful and this. They said this word ephes. And the word ephes is one that is a very much of a contrasting word where its definition is can be like at its end, it's all over with, or when it's all over with, or in its extremity, or it's limiting it's a, it's a limiting aspect word, okay? So like all this stuff, it flows with milk and honey and with its fruit, limiting only that at this at the end, these people are powerful. And they're saying this side of the testimony is greater than the other testimony, and let me leave out God's promises to give us the land, right? So it was an evil report in the way that it was given, than where it was where they were stressing the information. But when the people heard this, they feared. Their hearts melted. Now, the, the hearts of the Canaanites were already melted before the children of Israel, 
But now the children of Israel, their hearts have been melted at this word from the spies. Then Caleb and, and, and Joshua stand up and say, no, 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 we can do this. We need to go take the land. And they're reminded of the promise. But the ch- people are in such despair that they can't hear the promise. They can no longer see the truth of what God's promise was such that they remained in despair and wanted to go back to Egypt and even to the point where they wanted to kill those people who were giving a message of hope. It's shocking where we can go so quickly. And it began with what the eyes saw of the spies and then what the people listened to and what they gave their hearts over to. That then determined their course of action. And in their course of action, brought about their own demise, right? For a promise that had been given to them that they were to receive was now withheld, but it was still reserved for their children, right? Still reserved for their children. Because God did not give up on the nation, right? His promises to the nation still stood firm, and he was going to carry them out. In Numbers 14, 26 through 45, we'll read what the Lord's response was. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with these evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, which they are making against me. Say to them, As I live, says the Lord. So the Lord is he's, uh, he's swearing by himself. Right As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do to you. Your corpses will fall in this wilderness, even all your numbered men, according to your complete number, from twenty years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. Surely you shall not come into the land in which I swore to settle you, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Your children, however, whom you said would become a prey, I will bring them in, and they will, and they will know the land which you have rejected. But as for you, your corpses will fall in this wilderness. Your, son, your sons shall be shepherds for forty years in the wilderness, and they will suffer for your unfaithfulness until your corpses lie in the wilderness. According to the number of days which you spied out the land, forty days, for every day ye shall bear your guilt a year, even forty years, and you will know my opposition. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely I will do this to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me, In this wilderness they shall be destroyed, and there they will die. As for the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, and who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him, by bringing out a bad report concerning the land, even those men who who brought out the very bad report of the land died by a plague before the Lord. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive out of those men who went to spy out the land. When Moses spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, the people mourned greatly. And in the morning, however, they rose up early and went up to the ridge of the hill country, saying, Here we are, we have indeed sinned, but we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised. But Moses said, Why then are you transgressing the commandment of the Lord? When it will not succeed, do not go up, or you will be struck down before your enemies, for the Lord is not among you. Uh, So the people still went up and attacked, and they were driven back. It's a, it's a great tragedy in multiple dimensions, right? Because the people had put the Lord to the test ten times, is what the scripture said. And so the Lord said, no, you, you, haven't, you haven't trusted, and I'm not going to allow this group to go in. And so then even when they realized, okay, now he said that we can't go in, they said, okay, now we realize we've done wrong, we want to go up and take the land. But now they're acting in disobedience again, because he's sworn by himself that they will not go in. And Moses is warning them, don't do it. But they still wouldn't listen. Um, now, in this, um, you know, we could we could read this this portion, and we could be downcast, right? Because this this is a tragedy. And whenever we come to Shalak, it's like, oh no. <laughs> We're about to read about the failure in the wilderness. And then next week we're going to read about Korah. And it's like you just keep getting hits one right after the other, right? Um, 
But the thing is, this story isn't the end. So earlier this week, I had a dream. Actually, I think it was yesterday morning. I had a dream. And in the dream, I, I was hearing the song. Uh, I think it was How Great Thou Art. It was really nice. And, and then I was talking to Diego. Diego, we were having a good conversation about Messianic Judaism. And then I had a dream that it was time to give the, the sermon for Shalah. And it was almost time and didn't have the message. And then this news line, headline comes in, or like maybe it was an email or something, and I see this headline. And it, and it says, you know, when one thing comes to an end, the Bible speaks. And, and I'm paraphrasing there because I can't remember exactly what it was. But it was what the message in it was that even though it looks like one thing is ending, there's there's something else to come. There's a, there's a new beginning. Like the end is not the end. The end of one thing is the beginning of something new, right? And I, and I woke up right after that and then just started having all these thoughts about um, just this renewal that the Lord brings. And the thing is, when you go, we, we just read about the children of Israel trying to go up and getting knocked back by the, the, the Canaanites. The very next verse is Numbers 15, 1 through 3. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land you are to inhabit, which I am giving you, and you offer to the Lord from the herd or from the flock a food offering or a burnt offering or a sacrifice, to fulfill a, to fulfill a vow or as a freewill offering, or at your appointed feast to make a pleasing aroma to the Lord. That's what it starts out. God goes right back to know my promise still stands. That was not the end, right? The failure of the children of Israel to enter the land at that point in time, it was not the end all be all. My promise still stands. And when I bring you into the land, you will offer elevation offerings to draw near, free will offerings, uh, peace offerings to celebrate the name of the Lord and our relationship with Him and celebrate and rejoice in your appointed feasts, right? And that the aroma will be pleasing to the Lord. So he says it's not over. There's more to come. And again, so he said it then, and then a few verses later in Numbers fifteen seventeen, he says it again. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land to which I bring you, and when you eat of the bread of the land, you shall present a contribution to the Lord. Of the first of your dough, you shall present challah as a contribution. Like a contribution from the threshing floor, so shall you present it. Some of the first fruit of your dough you shall give to the Lord as a contribution throughout your generations. So here in the passage, right after, the Lord confirms twice that he's going to bring the people into the land. And if you remember back from Genesis, when Joseph was interpreting the Pharaoh's dream, he said, the dream happened twice because it's been established by the Lord. Right? And now here the Lord has said twice in Numbers 15, tell the children I'm going to bring you into the land. It's been established. God's going to accomplish what he said. But the children of Israel needed to hear this message. They needed to hear it. Because what were their eyes seeing 38 and a half years of wandering in the wilderness before them before they would now come to receive that promise but God communicated the hope through these two witnesses okay but they had to have faith to take hold and we do as well um Hebrews 4.2 says, For indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they also, speaking of the children of Israel in the wilderness. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. Right. So the writer of Hebrews was expressing that they had the promises of God, they heard the promises of God, but because they weren't able to take that and act in faith, that good word profited nothing for them. So for us, the good news that we hear then has to be believed 
It has to be applied. It has to be walked out such that it will have its good and intended effect in our lives. When we, when we look at things, our perspective matters a lot. Right. So you all heard the, the story of a, a cup that is filled halfway. <laughs> the cup, and so the optimist says, well, that cup is half full. The pessimist says the cup is half empty. The man of faith gives thanks that the cup is half full. And he marvels that God will either make the half cup sufficient to meet the need or miraculously refill the whole cup. He sees the potential of the space that remains, right? People say that every cloud has its silver lining. The pessimist sees the cloud. The optimist sees the silver lining. But the man of faith sees the cloud and the silver lining. And he gives thanks to God who made the cloud, provides the rain, and clears the sky. Right? So it's not a a denial. It's about understanding and interpreting with faith. So let's say that the spies brought back the report, and they said, the land is flowing with milk and honey, but there's giants. And I'm going to thank God for the goodness of the land that he's given us, and that he is going to provide all that we need to overcome the giants that are in the land, so that we can inherit to possess. Because he's spoken, and he's faithful and true to his word. Now Caleb had a different spirit in him, right? That's what the Lord said in Numbers 14.24. He says, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Right? He had eyes to see, and he was able to walk it out in faith and to do his best to call people to see and remember the truth. Oops. (laughs) I didn't need that anyway. Diego fixed the clock. So, thank you, Diego. Um, So, in, in looking at this, and we think about the promised land that God promised to the children of Israel, it's a picture... You know, it's, it's a real blessing. It's a real promise. It is a physical inheritance for the children of Israel. But it's also a picture of the Messianic era, right? Because there's an inheritance that we receive through faith in Yeshua of being a part of the Messianic era that is, well, that is now and is to come both. And we thank God for the, the kingdom that is now and the kingdom that is to come, even when we see darkness rising, right? Because we know that he can bring the light to shine. But, <clears throat> so the children of Israel knew their destiny to inherit the land, but they had to walk faithfully to reach their destination, right? And they could hasten the day of the promise being fulfilled, or they could delay it. In the case of the spies, the day was delayed, right? And here as we're walking, we're pursuing the Lord and seeking to serve him, looking forward to the the return of Yeshua, we can hasten the day. Or we can delay it if it's actually delayable at this point. (laughs) Right? But but the thing is that through our faithfulness, obedience, faithful obedience to the Lord and our acts of righteousness, we can hasten the day of his return and of the spread of his kingdom here on the earth. So we we have to walk faithfully in this this life. In, In Psalm 95... 7 to 11, there's this admonition that says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Mar- Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, when I when I read this about they have not known my ways, that knowing in the Hebrew context is not just an intellectual knowledge or understanding. It's an experiential thing. They haven't known my ways. Because right? they, they had heard the word, but then by not applying it, not walking it out fully, they didn't experience God's ways. 
But we're called to experience his ways, to walk in his ways. I'm trying to decide what I'm going to go to next here. Within our... I'm going to go to Joshua with the story of the spies that were sent out before Joshua led the children of Israel into the land. Because there's a lot of questions about if the first expedition of sending spies was so uh, destructive, why on earth would Joshua send spies to the land again right before they enter the land? The outcome was different. Praise the Lord. So in Joshua, starting in Joshua 2, verse 1, Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So the spies arrived, and they stayed with Rahab. Rahab's house was in the wall of the city, and it was at some some height. I don't know how high up, but it was high enough to where she had to lower the spies down by a, by a rope in the night so that they could escape. She had a house of disrepute, right? Um, she had lived a life of sin in a in a nation that was doomed to destruction, right? The one that was very depraved, right? So it's not likely that she was of the highest character, right? But she had heard the testimony of the Lord, right? And she began to believe that God was the true God. And so she began to act according to that. Now when the king comes to her and says, hey, you've got two men hiding with you, she says, no, they left. I don't know where they went. Right? But she knew exactly where they were. They were on a roof. So sometimes people get concerned. They say, wow, she lied. Isn't that terrible? Right? And we get confused. We're not really confused. Maybe we just don't know. That in this case, the lie was good. Now you have to be careful when you start teaching the lies are good. Right? <laughs> So I'm not endorsing all lies. But in this case, what she had was the life of these two people. Like she could either, either speak a word that would bring them death, or she could speak a word that would preserve their life. Right? And so she held to the greater of the commandments, even though she didn't know the commandments. And she preserved life by saying, I don't know where they are. Right? We've, we've talked about this before, but maybe not everybody listening has heard it, so it's important to know. Like even Corey Ten Boom, you know, when she was hiding Jews in, in World War II from the Nazis, would have been completely justified to say, no, I'm not hiding Jews, right? Anybody who was doing that would have been perfectly righteous in saying, no, I'm not hiding Jews, because they would have been preserving life through that testimony. Now, one thing I really like and think is fitting with this with the story of Rahab right is because we're mentioning that she lived in a depraved culture she was part of it she participated in it she had the inn where all the people would come and she's said to be a prostitute but yet her sin the depth of her sin was not enough to keep her from salvation 
right? Because you would look at her story and say, it's over. Look at her. She has no hope. Destruction is coming. It's at the door. The spies are here. But yet, her eyes were able to see who the true God was and that he could save. And she began to act in accordance with that. And because of that, she received a testimony that's spoken of in Hebrews, that's, that is part of uh, the, the great story of even the line of David and the line of Messiah. Right? She received an inheritance for her faithfulness. And for her family. That's exactly right, because she bartered for the life of her family. That's right. And in rabbinic literature, Rahab is seen as the model proselyte, the perfect example of genuine repentance. Right? And this genuine repentance was not a change of intellectual thought. It was one that actually produced fruit in accordance with the new understanding. Right? And when we think about our thoughts and what we entertain, it's really important. Right? Because our whole beliefs can be established from what began as a thought. Right? You, You begin with this thought that comes into your mind. You say, I think this. And then perhaps it grows to, I believe this. And then that becomes the basis for which you act, right? So we have to guard the thoughts that come into our mind. We have to guard what our eyes see and what our ears hear so that wisdom and revelation might flow through us, right? Now, you mentioned, Ben, that her whole family was saved too. This is this is a really neat part of the story, Um I think it's here. Um, she's so in in the continuing in Joshua. She speaks of how all the the hearts of the people are melted, and they know that uh, they're in trouble now that the Israelites are coming coming to them. But then she says, "Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I, I have dealt kindly with you, you also deal kindly with my father's house, and give me a sure sign." that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to the, to death, if you do not tell this business of ours. Then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal, deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. And here we go, picking up in the middle of here. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out to the doors of your house, out of the doors of your house, into the street his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, According to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Now, in the Hebrew, when they say this cord of scarlet thread, this cord is tikvat, okay, which is very close to the word tikva, which is hope. They're like, you'll, you'll tie this, this hope to your window. You'll tie this hope to your window, and all who are within the house where this scarlet is adorning your window, those people will be protected. But those who leave and go out of that covering will not be protected. This sounds a lot like Passover, right? It sounds a lot like Passover. And I'm sure that that imagery was part of the story here. Because does anybody know what time of the year this took place? Right about Passover. (laughs) This was right about Passover. Now, it was not during Passover, but it was very shortly before because um, the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan and renewed the covenant on the on the 10th day of Nisan, and then they celebrated Passover in the land. Right. And then after that began their march around Jericho. So now, 
with this. Okay, so she's told she's her house is in the wall, and she's put this scarlet cord on the wall, or on on the window, so that people could see. I always kind of wondered how is it that as the children of Israel were attacking, that they knew what house it was, because I mean this window's in the wall, and you can't attack it from the outside. They have to be inside attacking, and would they? open the door and somehow see it and not attack the people inside? I don't know, right? It's kind of like, how does this work? And as I was thinking on it this week, it's like, oh, wait a minute, maybe. And I don't know, this is just a maybe, right? In Joshua 6.20, the scripture says, okay, so you know, the story, they attack at Jericho, right? The children of Israel, they walk around one day and they're blowing the shofar and they do that for six days. Can you imagine being in the city and for six days, this army marching around around once, sounding the shofar the entire time. Oh, that would be rough, okay? And then on the seventh day, they marched around seven times. And then they all shouted, right? So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. The wall fell down flat. Where was Rahab's house? In the wall. Maybe that part didn't fall. Maybe that part didn't fall. <laughs> exactly. Like everything but everything around. Like it was carved out of the wall, and everything else was Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, but my my imagination is that that the walls fell, but her house stood because her house was now on a foundation that the rest of the wall was not. She was passed over, right? She and her whole household were passed over. Yeah. And then, according to Matthew, when it goes to the genealogy of David down to Messiah, it says that um, she married Salmon, the son of Nachshon, who was a, a prince of the tribe of Judah. So Rahab had a, had a good story to come of it. She was passed over. So even when it seemed like all was lost, God was saying, no, there's a new beginning coming, and there's even the line of Messiah coming through this one who is faithful. Praise God, right? Oh, is that right? I see that uh, Rahab's, a lot of the illustration that they have for Rahab is that it's a standing column that stands there straightly. There is a red, um, a, a red uh, scarlet painting from the window so they can see that everything's down except for this home. They're like, oh, that's Rahab. You gotta stay away. I mean, you just stay away. Yeah. Right? But I think the, the other interesting, that whole process, I think, that you have to take it back and look at this too is what is the thought process that's happening in Rahab's house? Everyone that they know is being slaughtered, killed, and everything they do, and stuff like that. Probably eternal turmoils that they may even have because they're like, ah, oh, that's my friend. So I see they see this, but they also come to the realization that there is their grace for them and stuff like that that speaks louder to even to the generations to this day. Yeah. Amen. The faithfulness of God. And they can see it. They beheld it. They they lived it. They knew the grace and the mercy and the compassion of God and the restoration that he was giving them. Yeah, praise God. So, one last thing is we're, before we wrap up, you know, I mentioned that the, the portion started out with eyes seeing things that were not uh, without correct interpretation that led to to sin. Now, the way the portion ends is with the opposite of what the eyes should do. Or it's it's a, it's it's an explanation of the eyes doing what is right and what they're intended to do. If we read in Numbers 15 37 through 41, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put, put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined 
to four after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Right? So the Lord gave the commandment to attach tzitzit to the corners of their garments. And the word can mean the fringes, but alternatively, it may refer to what the tassels call upon the wearer to do, right? Because tzitzit is related to the word hatzit, okay? Which means to peer at something intently. And so when the scripture said, you, it shall constitute, some, you know, peering intently for you so that you may see it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and perform them and not to explore after your heart and after your eyes with which you stray. Right. Now, additionally, in, in the Talmud, it, it speaks of this passage, passage and says, well, it says you may see it and remember all the commandments of the Lord. Okay, but when it says that, the scripture says, um, it says, Uritem Uto, Uritem Uto, which is, and you will see it, or you will see him. Oto can be hit, it, or him, okay? That you may see him, and the sages understood that to be, you may see the divine presence. You will see the divine presence, and you will remember all the commandments of the Lord and perform them, and not explore after your heart. Yeah. So the, the heart and the eyes, one thing I read uh, was the heart and eyes are like the body's spies. The heart covets and the eyes seek out and the body sins, right? But when the eyes seek out the commandments, right, then the heart is aligned properly and righteousness is carried out by those who have set their eyes on the commandment. Okay. So wrapping this up, Hebrews 12, 1 to 2 gives us an encouragement as we are to walk out. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to it so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Yeshua, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, this uh, translation that I, I really prefer in this is where it says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Yeshua, the author and perfecter of faith. Fixing our eyes on Him, right? And truly abiding as we're encouraged to do in John, right? Abiding in the vine. And the one that's abiding in the vine is looking to the vine. So, amen. Um, does anybody else have anything that you wanted to share before Diego comes up to uh, share with us about Rosh Chodesh? Yeah, I like the last comment that you made, Chris, just about the eyes of like, the spies and stuff like that. Just two times of being in everyday life we walk through the things that we observe, the things that we interpret, the things that you know are before us and stuff like that. Our eyes have, like you said, are like kind of, you know, maybe someone says it's like the gateway to your soul and stuff like that, you know? And um, what you see and what you put in ultimately affects sometimes how you perceive on that one. But by keeping your eyes, you know, and it, you can look throughout the entire scripture as, as you keep your eyes on the Christ, as you keep your eyes on what God's divinity is, the more of the more blessings, the more revelation, the more of his kingdom is coming and stuff like that. So I think it's just it's a really good, powerful thing to think about as well too. So. Yeah. Amen. And 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 with that, you know, the um, you know, faith plus works, right? It's what James encourages us about. It's like we demonstrate our faith by what we walk out. What we walk out is going to be according to what our eyes see and perceive. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's something we need to be meditating on, dwelling on. 
keeping the Lord continually before us. You know, when you walk out your house or in your house, you see the mezuzah. And you bless God and thank Him for His Word. Reminders. Reminders are a good thing. <laughs> we need reminders. Yeah. One of the things that we can see, we see the um, basically the the sign of hope in the story. In chapter fourteen, it says that Moses and Aaron fell, they fell on the floor when they received the bad, you know, the bad report. So in in ancient Near East, when someone falls, it's a sign of death. So we see Moses and Aaron dying. Then it says that Joshua and Caleb tore their garments, which represents shame. So if you can see death and shame, but then you take the name of Joshua, it means salvation. And Caleb came from the tribe of Judah. So salvation comes from Joshua, from the tribe of Judah, that divorced our death the shame and the cross. So you see the salvation story within that, always. Yeah. Isaiah says, do you want to know the end? He says, go back to the beginning. And here it is. It's always given to us. Yeah. <clears throat> Amen. Yeah, the, the stories, they're, they're connected, right? They're telling the same story. This is all about the kingdom and about salvation, God's salvation and restoration that he's going to bring. And so we see it over and over again. It's like an end brings a new beginning. And then, if you want to see the end, look at the beginning. I like it. There's also a reason why Moses changed the name. From, mm-hmm. He added that Yod in there, which represents Yod, and the next one is, is Bob. So it's the beginning of God's name. Yeah. So it's God's sake, not anybody else. That's right. And how he saves it is his calling, which we know the Son. Yeah. Amen. All right, let me, let me say a prayer, and then Diego's going to come up, and he's going to share with us about the, the new month. Lord, we love you, and we bless you, and thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for the hope that you give us. Lord, that uh, we aren't without hope. Lord, we're with hope, no matter what no matter what things look like, no matter what is going on. Lord, we know that you will be faithful, and that we can trust in you. Lord, help us to guard our eyes to see with eyes of faith, Lord, and to give you thanks for what is and walk in hope of what is to come. We give you praise again. Thanks in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Okay, so before I go to the month of the uh, of Tammuz, I like the contrast between um, the influence of the ten spies and the influence of Joshua and Caleb, the influence of uh, the ten spies caused the death of the older generation versus the influence of Joshua and Caleb called, causes the younger generations to inherit the land, uh, which is pretty interesting how much our influence and our decisions today can influence the new generation. We will look at what's going on today and all the protesting and all this going on is that you see all these young faces. It's the young generation who is out there, you know, uh, going left and right about what they believe and what should be right and what should be wrong. And, uh, but anyways, I thought that was pretty interesting because how important it is for the older generations to live out their calling so that the new generation can follow up in the same steps. Uh, and... It's interesting how the Lord does everything because everything that has been taught in the message is in re- is also in relationship in relation with this month of Tammuz. Uh, so Tammuz is the uh, the sixth month of the Jewish calendar, uh, and it is of. It's not picking it up. The name Tammuz is of uh, Sumerian origin. And this is track since Abraham was the son, uh, and since Abraham was the son of Su- a Sumerian priest, uh, 
it is known that the name itself traces all the way back to the times of Abraham. Um, and it's related, it is in relationship with pagan gods, the name itself. And then it influenced from that point all the way to the Babylonian times. A lot of people ask questions about as, as far as the name and why are they related to pagan gods. Uh, and there is a huge opposition to that. Uh, and it is because the name itself records historical events. So the sages deliberately just decided to name the months after these names to remember what what took place uh, in, in those times. Not to use the name as a form of worship itself or, or a way of determining the lifestyle, but as a way of reminding them what took place. And two major historical events happened during this month, which was the destruction of the first and the, and the second temple. So where marked the beginning. The temple wasn't destroyed just in one day. There was a process in which the people started and then ended up, because of their actions, it ended up in the destruction of the first and the second temple. And Tammuz uh, had a, uh, in its pagan association, was something that the prophet Ezekiel was sent to uh, call the people to repent from because they were worshiping this, this god and the idea of worshiping a pagan god is not just a bowing down to a physical structure, but also all the practices around those 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 physical structures. Uh, so all the way from the times of Abraham to the Babylonian times, it has the 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 way in which this pagan god was worshipped had changed in regards to their where there was a small idol. A physical material, a physical item, all the way to a huge status. Status. Uh, it has changed all throughout time, but the name and the spiritual force behind it is still the exact same. Uh, so, because of the, the the influence and the events that took place around this time, the sages determined that this this month should be a month of of repentance, of remembering what happened during those times, and remembering and also repenting from those events and what, in the way that it influenced the, day, the days on those times, and how in today's age, it is still used the same way, because although the physical abstraction, the way that these things were worshipped, the spiritual forces continue to live from generation to generation, and they continue to manifest in different ways. Uh, and today we have different idols that I'm not going to mention their names, but we have fallen into and we are not aware of. It has caused us to be distracted from God's purpose in our life. Uh, and we have made ourselves accustomed to it. Uh, that has distracted us from our calling. And everyone in this room and the whole world has a calling. Every believer has a calling. But we allow all this things to come into our life and distract us from answering our calling and leaving it to the fullest. So during this month, it's a call to repentance. And in repentance, in repentance in itself calls for a sense of awareness. The only way we can repent is by being aware of what we need to repent from. So by calling for a sense of awareness, we, it's, it's, it's encouraging to look within ourselves and what are the things that we spend the time the most that is that is distracting us from our pers from our calling that God has put in our life? We all have a calling, and if we don't know what that is, it is important to be in prayers and to seek out what the calling is, so that we can live it out, and you know, so that we can be of the generation of Joshua and Caleb that caused an impact on the younger generation and caused them to inherit the land, the promised land. So, in a practical, from a practical perspective, there are uh, what do you call it? exercises that can be done among this, in the midst of this month and throughout this time, and it is to be physically aware of our environment, what's going on around worldwide in our life, personally, uh, in our day-to-day -day life. What is taking our time the most? What are we spending time the most? And have a, a sense of awareness and be able to determine. You know, what is taking, uh, what is consuming my time 
and how is that and how I can change it in a way that I can have a balance in exercising what God has called us to to do while being practical in a day to day life. So I'm going to recite the blessing. This is it for the month of Tammuz. It's a month of the Jewish calendar. It is a call for repentance, a call for being aware of the times we live in, your life, your personal life, you know, and to be focused on the Lord and what Yeshua has called us as believers so that we can bring about the kingdom of God here on earth, first with our life and then in the life of those around us. So may, so may the Lord, so it may be, so may it be your will, Lord God, God of our Father, that you renown us to us, for us a good month in the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas. Thank you.